0: And it reads, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. But this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Amen? That's Pastor Todd comes. I got a chance to worship with uh, congregation morning. so it just made me long for this church. Like it just made me long to be back here. It was uh, I don't get an opportunity often to go worship with other people. Uh, and so that Sunday I walked into the building, it was the church that I came from. Uh, and I sat in the front row, and uh, there were about 1,100 people in the building. I thought to myself, holy moly, uh, this is overwhelming. Uh, and in that moment, I was well, just flooded with tears uh, for my desire to be back here. Uh, I, th- I told someone last night, it was the first time in a long time I walked in with a t-shirt and uh, khaki pants on and, and tennis shoes. I thought, something, something is not right here. I need a suit and tie. So it is good to be back. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful for your willingness to allow me to do what God's called me to do outside of preaching and teaching and pastoring here, and that's to go uh, serve people. I was away at, uh, for a week with a group of ladies that have extensive trauma, and so we were doing some trauma work with them. So, But it's good to be back. Uh, I love this church, and I know this church loves me. And uh, I listened to parts of uh, the sermon last week, the parts I could get i hope the like the bread was good as the middle of that sermon because the the meat of the sermon i didn't get to listen to because of the technical difficulties but the bread was good uh for sure uh, if you're a bread uh, bread fan so we're back here first john we'll start in chapter two this morning last time we were together we looked at uh the idea of being in a courtroom and there were four people in the courtroom if you remember we have the the judge, that's God the Father. We had uh, the, the adversary or the accuser, that's Satan. We have the guilty, that's you and I. And then we had the, the righteous attorney that, that defends us at all costs. Now we're going to move into this place of the classroom. So John is going to take us to the, from the courtroom to the classroom. And what John is going to do with this passage is to give us some assurance. I want to read the definition of assurance this morning to us. It's a positive declaration into, intended to give confidence, and it's a promise. I, I don't know about you, but how often do you or do I or do we struggle with assurance? Am I the only one? Like, I can wake up in the morning and think, man, is this truly what God has called me to in, do I really have assurance of my salvation oftentimes? Anyone ever struggle with that? And yet throughout the Bible, God, through his declaration to us, wants us to have assurance, to have that declared confidence. So I want to ask you this morning, do you have that declared confidence in your salvation? Do you know that you know that you know that you are saved? Because that's what God gave us in the courtroom, right? That's why John, in his text, is going to show us first and foremost what God has done for us through our sinfulness and given us assurance. But how often do we not live in that assurance? So now here we are in the classroom. We have the the, the teacher John and you, the pupil you and I, and we're sitting under his teaching. And now he's going to give us a test. I don't know about you, but I hate tests. But John is in the classroom. He's like, here's how you know that you have assurance. Let's take a test together. Now, I'm just going to get honest for a moment. I have this reoccurring, some would call it dreams. I call it a terrifying nightmare. And the nightmare is this. I'm walking into a classroom. And I've studied, and I've studied, and I've studied, and yet as soon as the test gets put in front of me, my mind goes blank. And I wonder, do I know what I know that I've studied? And I'm sitting there in the dream looking at this piece of paper with pencil in hand, trying to fill out the paperwork, thinking if I don't pass, I fail. And if I fail, I'm in big trouble. Now for me, the dream has to do with this thing that the state of Tennessee calls a licensure. Like I have to get licensed by the state of Tennessee in order to go on to continue to practice in my profession. And it's like they ask the most most obscure questions known to me. It's like, I'll never see that sitting in front of me. What in the world? But I wake up as if the dream really happened. You know those dreams? And I'm in a dead-out panic. And yet, I have the assurance that I've studied, I've gone to school, I've got the assurance of a diploma hanging on the wall. But that oftentimes doesn't really give me assurance. And so, John this morning is going to give us assurance. And he's going to ask us this question. In the text, let's look at the text together. And by this you know. Circle that in your Bibles. The word know is so important to this text. Because what John is going to say to us this morning is, do you really know? And the question for you and the question for me, the question in front of us on this test. This morning is, do we really know who God is? Do we really know Him? Now here's the deal about this idea of knowing. And it's coming from John, but Paul's going to talk about this in his own writings. There's the difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. Let me say that again. There is a huge difference between actually knowing about someone and really knowing that person. Now, I could give all the detailed information about somebody. And you would think, man, he knows him. But then if you came and asked me, have I ever sat down and had a personal conversation with him, I'd say no. And my great fear for us, church, is this, that we know God, Or we know about God, but we've never spent time with God. We don't really know God. But our assurance comes first in this and this alone. God knows us, and he doesn't know about us. He knows everything about us by the number of hairs on our head. So our assurance in being a knowing God is first that God knows us. And yet in knowing us, he wants to sit with us. Remember what we talked about in the courtroom. You are wicked before God, and yet he wants to know you. He wants and desires a personal relationship with you. So much so he says in his word, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God doesn't just know us or about us, but he has this interpersonal relationship with us. Now think about your spouse for a moment. What if all you did was know about your spouse? But you never had intimacy with your spouse. Like true spiritual, emotional, even physical intimacy with them. We could ask the question, what did they look like? And you could quote everything about them. You could even tell us their desires and their longings. But do you really... No, do you really spend time with your spouse? That's the question that we have to answer for us this morning. Do we know simply about God? Or do we really know God? And John is going to say to us these things. Remember, this is the story of Paul. Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul. And before Paul, before Saul became Paul, Paul says this about himself in Acts chapter 22. I am a Jew born of Tarshish, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gergamel. That was one of the finest educators of the day. that, That dude knew everything. It says, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God. Paul was zealous for God. He later on would say this in Philippians chapter 3 about himself. So much so, this is who I was before Christ, he says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as of the law a Pharisee, a zeal, a persecutor of the church, righteous under the law and blameless. That is what Paul says about himself. Paul says, I knew everything about God and then some. I guarantee you this. Saul came here before he is Paul. he would have known more about God than you and I combined. But remember what happened on the road to Damascus. He stopped knowing about God and he had an encounter with God that wrecked him. so much threw him off of his horse, he went blind, he couldn't see and he had this moment of who is this and?" Christ Himself spoke to him. There's another story in the Bible, and this man, it says that he was blameless and righteous. His name was Job, and it says that God and Satan had this conversation about Job. And God said to Satan, "Do whatever you want to to Job. Take all of it, just don't touch his life. You can't take his soul." And there's these moments throughout the book of Job, and it's an amazing story. If you can read the story, it's a hard story to read just because of the the style of the writing. There's this moment that his wife goes to Job and says this, curse God and die, it's better off. Ah, That's not great advice, spouses. And Job begins to have these conversations with his buddies, and his buddies are like, Hey, man, maybe you don't know God. Maybe this is all because of your walk with God or your lack of walk with God. So then Job, in his righteousness, his frustration, goes and just starts throwing the finger at God and just, like, accusing God of all these things. And then God's like, okay, 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 enough is enough. That's the TNIV version. That's the Todd International Version. God says, enough is enough. Sit down, Job. Now let me tell you something about who I am. He goes on and says all that who he is. And then there's this beautiful verse where you begin to see that Job not only begins to know about God, but he knows God. And this is what he says. Job himself, a blameless, righteous man. He says this, I have heard you by the hearing of my ears. My uh, my ears have always heard about you. Catch what it says next. But now my eyes see you. My ears have always heard about you, God. I've known about you, God. But now I see you, God. My desire is that today when you leave this room would be my eyes now see you. Not only do my ears hear about you. And that you'd pass the test with flying colors. And so what's on the paper in front of us this morning, there's three questions that John is going to address that we must pass. These three things are this. If you really know God, not just know about God, but if you really know God, these three things must be true in your life. So I pray that everyone will walk out with assurance because these three things are true about you. The, th- the three words that we're going to look at is keeping, loving, and abiding. Now, Here's the danger of this passage. Here's the danger of this passage. If we come to this passage and think, I've got to be the one keeping, I've got to be the one loving, and I've got to be the one abiding, you will fail the test. Because we've got to go back to the text from what we talked about two weeks ago. It's not anything that you did. You cannot keep the law. You cannot love God. And you cannot abide in God unless God has first done it in you. So what we talked about in James, if you remember James, faith has to have works. But it's not our works that give us faith. It's our faith that gives us work. And James says, and now John says, These two things must be true about you. Faith without works is dead. So what are the works in your life that shows your salvation? Those three things, John says, here's how you know. Here's how you know you have assurance. So these three things give us the assurance that we know that God knows us and that we know that we know him. Those three things again are this. Keeping, loving, and abiding. If you look at these four verses, this is a commentary on what John saw in Jesus himself in John chapter 14 and 15. One day, I promise, I'm going to do a long series, and Jenny will probably do a backflip down and up the aisle when I do John 14 all the way to seventeen. But John is late in his life. Remember, he's about 80 or 90 years old. He's remembering what he heard as a 21-year-old kid. I think oftentimes we think of the disciples as these old, old men. but They were like just out of the teenage years. And so for 60 years, just think about For 60 years, John has been meditating on what he heard Jesus say in the upper room. And those things that he heard in the upper room, the night before he'd go and see his Savior die on a cross, John saw Jesus say this, hey, you want to know that you know me? Keep my commandments. He says, love me and love others, and then abide in me. So now John is drawing back what he saw Christ say to him before he went to the cross. The last words of Jesus before he hung on the cross were those same words Keep my commandments. Love me and love others. And abide in me. We're going to look at that in detail. Now let's look at the first word keeping. Keeping means this that you, the word keeping in the text means this to guard. So John says this in chapter 2, verse 3. And by this, by what? By these things I just told you about. By this, we know that we have come to know him. Now how do you know that you know him? His first thing is that you keep his commandments. Are you and am I in this church, are we keeping the commandments? That means are we guarding the commandments? Like, do we see the commandments of God as a treasure that ought to be left uh, secure and protected in your life and in my life and in the life of this church? Now, now, it's not just the commandments of the Old Testament. You've got to look into the word in the Greek. What John is saying, it's not only those, those commandments, but it's the commandments of Christ himself. What was the greatest commandment according to Christ? Love God. And love others and love yourself. Now we do a great job of loving God and loving other people, but how many of y'all love yourself? See, you don't love yourself, you're not going to keep his commandments. Can we say that again? God gave us his commandments so that you would love yourself. Be selfish. Anyone ever heard that before? No, no. But that's what Jesus says. Be selfish. So that you love yourself. What do they tell you on an airplane? To be selfish. Put your mask on yourself first. Before you put it on. But how many of us in the room are so preoccupied with putting the mask on everyone else. That we don't put it on ourselves. How that looks like is this. Hey the commandments are for you but they're not for me. Like I'm going to make sure. You hold to the commandments and judgment, but I'm not going to hold those commandments. And so what John is saying, no, no, keep the commandments for yourself, first and foremost. Do you guard the commandments of God? Do I guard the commandments of God? Do we, the church, guard the commandments of God? Because we know it's, that's what's best for us. God gave us commandments so that we would do what he says in John 10, 10. I've come to give you life and life to the Full. Well, how are we going to live a full life if we don't guard the commandments that God has given to us? Those commandments are for us to enjoy him forever. Remember what John is going to say in just a few weeks in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. You know the text? I'll read it to you. For this is the love of God, that we, what, we keep his commandments. Catch the last part of the verse. And his commandments are not what? Burdensome. How many of us look at the commandments of God as burdensome? No wonder we wouldn't want to keep them. But John is saying, no, no, no. They're not a burden. They give you freedom. How many of us want to live in freedom? Like freedom from resentment, freedom from condemnation, freedom from judgment, freedom from idolatry, freedom from lust, freedom. When we keep going, freedom from hatred, freedom from lying. I can keep going. But John is saying God gave us those commandments. So if we keep those commandments, we live in freedom. Are we living free lives? If we're not living free lives, I guarantee it's because we're not keeping the commandments. And we're looking at them as burdens, not places of freedom. Three things about commandments, and then we'll move on to loving. Commandments are given to us by God. And let me say this out and clear. They're not suggestions. I was like, hey. Let me say it again. God's commandments are not suggestions. Let me put it another way God's commandments aren't helpful tips. Cedar and I were doing a, a project yesterday and it said the pro tips. And I was like, nah, I don't need those. And I accomplished the goal without the pro tip. So I didn't look at it as a commandment, I just looked at it as a suggestion. I think so often we come. To God's word, like, meh, meh. That's a tip. That's a good idea, but I'm not gonna do it. But God is saying, no, 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 no. They're not tips, they're not suggestions, they're commandments. That's the first one. The second two you're not gonna like, because I didn't like them. Keeping God's commandments takes a lot of time. And a lot of effort. What's the time that it takes? You gotta know them. Which means you gotta engage them, which means you gotta read them, which means you gotta study them, which means they gotta become your own. It takes a lot of time to know this word. And it takes a whole lot of effort. So are you and then I, and is this church? See, it's gotta be both individually and corporately, keeping God's law. And it takes a lot of effort. Keeping God's law is simple, but it's not easy. Because you have an adversary that wants to come and make sure that you don't. Because he knows if you don't, then you won't have intimacy with God, and you don't have intimacy with God, you won't have freedom. told you you weren't going to like these. Here's the last one. To know God and to keep his commandments are inseparable. Let me say that one more time. To know God and to keep his commandments are inseparable. It's like water, H2O. You cannot have water without either hydrogen or oxygen. Those two have to combine to have water. You don't have one or the other. You don't have water. If you want assurance in your salvation, you better keep God's commandments, and you you better know God. You see, Paul kept God's commandments but he didn't know God. Other people claim to know God, but they don't keep his commandments. How many people have prayed a prayer and walked out of a a sanctuary and continued to live their life as if they never prayed a prayer? That's not keeping God's law. There is no assurance. I'm going to get in big trouble for this one. There is no assurance in a simple prayer. I got like half an amen. There is no assurance in simply praying a prayer. The prayer that happens in you ought to, when you are finished with the amen, turn around. And your life ought to look different because you have just invited the Holy Spirit into your life. And if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you have conviction over your sin. If you have conviction over your sin, you have repentance. If you have repentance, you have a turning from and a turning to. I'll get a better amen on that one. So knowing God and keeping His commandments are inseparable. Now let's go to the next one. So the first test, are you keeping the truths of God? Are you guarding them in your own life? Are you helping guard them in the body of Christ? The next one is this. He says in verse 5, There's a whole other section I missed just for the sake of time. He says, whoever says they know God but doesn't keep his commandments is what? A liar. That's what I was just talking about. And the truth is not in him because if you have the truth, you wouldn't be a liar. You can't have truths and lies together, right? That's, that's a whole other sermon. We'll come to that sometime later. But then in verse 5, he says this, whoever keeps his word... In him, truly what? The love of God is perfected. So now he's going to say, hey, is the love of God in you being perfected? Now you got to know what that means. Now the scholars are divided in this place. So I'm just going to take them both and say I agree with both of them. That's the easiest way out. Many say, is it God's love for us or our love for God? I would say it's both. If you come to know God has a love for you, you will have a love for God and vice versa. And he's saying this, that if you have a love for God and God has a love for you, the word perfected means to that which comes to maturity. One writer says it this way. When we come to have a love for God, it means that we that its love has reached its goal or it has accomplished its mission. What is the love of God for you? The love of God is this, that no one should perish. So if you have the love of God, you will not perish. But the other half of that place is this, you also have to love God. Those two things, those two things are inseparable. A love that God has for you, which in turn has a love for God. Moses said it this way in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Everyone's like, hey, let's just keep going, right? There isn't a requirement that God has for all of us. Anyone ever heard like that before? Like, uh, no one likes that piece of the verse. There isn't a requirement that God has for us as children. The, The same way that your marriage has a requirement. Man, we all are awfully quiet this morning. God has requirements for us as his children. He says, here's the requirements: To fear the Lord is to walk in all of his ways. What what Moses is saying, to have a reverence for God, you've got to walk in all of his ways, not some of his ways. To love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and to keep his commandments in the statute of the Lord, this is which I am requiring of you today, for your good. Keeping God's law and loving God is for your good. But we look at God's laws and we don't love God's words because we think they're burdensome and we think they're restrictive and no, God's like, no, it's for your good. Do you love God and do you have the love of God on you? this morning. For the sake of time, we'll speed through. The last one is this. He says it in verse 5. He insists. By this, we know that we are in him. It's the last piece of the test. You want to know you're in him? If you want your assurance, whoever says that he abides in him, Ought to what? Walk the same way in which he walked. Uh-oh. So God get, John gives us the indicator of what it means to know God. And he uses one simple word, abide. Abide, that word means this, to stay, to remain, and to reside. Are you taking up space with Christ? Are you residing in him? Think about that word. It's one thing to visit. It's a whole other thing to get comfortable. What John is saying is, do your shoes stay on when you go into the house? Or do your shoes stay off? Again, that's Todd International Version. Like, are you kicking your feet, your shoes off? Like, are you putting on your slippers? Because you know... When your in-laws come and they put their slippers on, you're like, oh, they're staying for a while. You know when the guests come and they take their shoes off, unless that's the rule of your house, you're like, oh, they're getting comfortable. Are you residing in him? That's the key piece of the passage. In him, he says. Do you reside in him? One writer says it this way. To abide is not temporary, superficial attachment, but a permanent, deep connection. I'll read the passage of what Jesus himself says in the upper room. In John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5, he says, These things abide in me, and what? I in you. as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, unless it resides in the the vine, unless it gets its life source from the vine. Like the only way the grape is going to bear grapes is if that vine is attached to the branch that's attached to the root that's attached to the soil that's attached to the nutrients. And so John is saying, you, you can't just hang around it, but you've got to abide in it. If you want life, you've got to be attached to it. And Christ has to be your life source. It's got to be the root, it's got to be the soil, and it's got to be the nutrients. Are you abiding in him today? Because he's saying this, I'm going to abide in you if you abide in me and me in you. There will be a byproduct here. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is he that what, bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me read that last verse, verse 5 again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides or resides or has a permanent attachment to me, he will bear, she will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now here's why I wish I could stop the sermon, hit pause, bring a microphone up, because I am seeing this in the life of people in our church. Watching people begin to really abide in him and him in them, and there are supernatural things happening in the life of this church. Like places of forgiveness and healing and letting go of resentment and love. I mean, I could go on and on. I'm not going to steal the thunder. I promise one day I'm going to ask people to share their testimony of what it means that they've been abiding in him and what they've seen the fruit of that's become in their life. Amen? And we, again, I said it two weeks ago. I'll say again, we might be here till midnight if we're doing what the passage says. Are we abiding in Christ today? I'll close it with this quote from a writer. He says this. Abiding, I wish I had this on the screen so you can write it down. If not, you can come find me. I'll give it to you afterwards. He says this. Abiding involves a person's Relating to himself as Christ the divine. Are you relating to Christ as divine? To the person and and his purposes. Are you relating to Christ? And then he goes on to say this. Rejecting attitudes, words, and actions of interest which Christ reveals he cannot share. So he's now saying... You gotta abide in him. Are you relating to Christ and you're you rejecting the things of this world? Through your speech, through your, your conduct, through your relationships, attitudes, words, and actions, or interest with Christ's words real, He cannot share. And lastly, in receiving Christ imparted life for authentic fulfillment. You and am I? Abiding in Christ. Because then he says this, when you abide, the last thing of this, you will walk in the same way which he walked. That means you're heading in the same direction that he heads. Which is where? To the Father. Remember Christ's whole mission was twofold. To glorify God and to redeem people. That ought to be our same mission. As we walk in Christ, we ought to glorify God for the redemption of mankind. What that looks like is, is my whole desire to please God and then to be a conduit of God's grace and love and mercy to a lost world. We will walk in him and we will walk like him if we abide in him. Let us pray this morning.